The following sermon by Pastor Rick Holland is brought to you by Mission Road Bible Church. For more information, visit missionroadbiblechurch.com. Deuteronomy chapter 6. To say Deuteronomy chapter 6 is something that I've been looking forward to since we began this book. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. We're not going to take a, a fast tour through this passage because there is so much relevance in this part of the law, which most people actually relegate to uh, the uh, bygone day for people who aren't around anymore, um, and, and yet it is rich with application. I would dare say there is hardly a chapter in the Bible, much less the Old Testament, that has more immediate practical application than this passage does. In this chapter, we're going to have our introduction tonight in verses 1 to 3, which really talks about obedience and the blessing of obedience. Then you get into the Shema, the great statement of who God is, his unity and his oneness. Then the rest of the chapter really is talking about family discipleship. God has ordained a certain order by which fathers and mothers, parents, instill into their children the statutes and ordinances and understandings and commandments of the Lord. This really begins the foundation, I think, for everything that we ought to think in discipleship. If we're going to have a series that the title that we could put a title on for this chapter, I would just call it discipleship. God has intended for truth and for love for him to be transferred generationally by the older and more mature to the younger. So when we open chapter six, now watch this, it actually follows chapter five. Very good. Chapter 5, we looked back at the, really the reiteration of the commandments. We looked at that story in our last study. And the first three verses function very interestingly as the conclusion to what happened in chapter 5 and the introduction to what's going to happen in the next chapter in chapter 6. Follow along as I read the first three verses of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and judgments which... The Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you are going. You're going over to have it, to possess it, to live in it. So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. And that your days may be prolonged. Oh, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may greatly multiply, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Every parent knows the question. It's that question. It's asked over and over and over and over again. It's one of the first questions a child ever asks. And it's a question that never, ever, ever, ever goes away. The question is simple. The question is short. The question is to the point. It's a question of curiosity and it's a question of evaluation. But it's not a question that's answered only once with such convincing proof and 
certainty that it will never be asked again. In fact, it's a question that extends into the teen years, into the college years, into young adulthood, into young married life, and on through to the grave. The question is a one-word inquisition. You know the question by now, don't you, right? Why? Why? Just just spend some time down in the three- and four-year-old nursery. Why? 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 Fathers, learn early. Just say, just ask your mother. It's a great way to get out of it. There's lots of reasons the question why is asked. Why are things like they are? That's a good question. Why do things cause other things? That's a good question. Why do things happen? Why do things not happen? Why do this and why do that? Why not do this and why not do that? Ultimately, the why question is asked about morality, about behavior. Why should I do that kind of thing? And if you're in the church and you're in the church long enough, hopefully your children will ask why? That was certainly the pattern in Israel. Look down, if we can just look ahead for a moment, in chapter 6, verse 20. This is a why question framed with a what? When your son asks you in time, saying, what do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean that the Lord God, our God has commanded you? Then you shall say and give an explanation. And the point is, telling people what to do in general, telling our children what to do specifically, demands why. Why should I do that and not do that? I mean, we still ask it today, don't we? Why not sin? Why do hard things? Why say no to the flesh? Why say no to lust and urges? Why say yes to discipline and commitment? Ultimately, we're asking, why should we obey God? That's a good question. It's actually a valid question. It's a question that should be asked because there are valid answers. There's nothing wrong with looking at God in prayer and devotions and saying, why should I do this? God expects us to ask why. It's much easier to ask and answer why obey him than it is why about his providence and his sovereignty. He doesn't always yield those answers in this life, but he always yields the answers of obedience. Why should we obey? That was the question on the mind of Moses because he's reiterating the law to this new generation. They're standing on the plains of Moab. They're about to cross the Jordan River. They're going to go inhabit the land, begin the, the military campaign under Joshua. And in the midst of all this land possession, he is going to remind them over and over again. In fact, can I tell you, everything we say tonight, everything in these first three verses, every single phrase is repeated many times in the coming chapters in Deuteronomy. But he understood that once they got their land, once they had their possession, once they had their houses set up, and the leaders and the prophets and the priests kept telling them, obey God, that they would ultimately ask the question, why? Why should we obey God? As I said, this section is at the end of the narrative in chapter 5, calling this new generation to obey God. Watch this. Not like the previous generation did. Watch this. Totally. I mean, can we say that the previous generation never obeyed God? No, we can't say that. But they disobeyed God in such an egregious fashion. Moses himself disobeyed God in such a pronounced fashion that it had lasting consequences with respect to going into the promised land. 
So Moses is dealing with a group of people all under 40. And I like the fact that he calls those young people. Uh, These are a group of people who are standing about to go into the land. He says, I got to tell you what to do. But when when it comes to the the point of making the decision morally over what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do, you're going to need to know why. Now, back up just a moment. One of the explicit and implicit sections or uh, issues in this section of Scripture is the idea of love. Just for a moment, look down uh, at the, the great Shema after um, uh, telling us that the Lord, uh, right before, I should say, um, uh, excuse me, after, here is Israel, verse 4, the Lord our God is one, you shall, verse 5, love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God. Turn over to chapter 11. Verse 1, therefore, you shall therefore love the Lord your God. Why should we love God? Well, the answer to that is so simple. It's in the New Testament in 1 John. It's in the Old Testament in Exodus. It's going to be over and over pronounced in the book of Deuteronomy. We love God because he, what? First loved us. That's what these first three verses is really about. God has given his love to us. And he's given it to us before he calls us to love him. That admonition in chapter 11, the admonition here in 6-5 to love him comes after he is going to tell us in every which way possible in these three verses that he has loved us and prepared a life for us to live that would bring us blessing. We've titled this section the blessing of obedience. Why should I obey? Is it wrong to ask Is anything in this for me when walking with the Lord? Be careful. We might say, oh, no, we should only do it for the Lord. Did you know God says you need to obey because there is much in it for you? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is not a cosmic killjoy up throwing down lightning bolts trying to make our life as miserable as possible so we might obey him sometime. This section tells us what's in it for us. God's love is obvious. He wants things to go well with us. And we know that because in this pattern here in Deuteronomy 6, he wants things to go well for Israel. For this new group of, of, uh, of people who are going into the promised land, he wants them established with the angle set right from the very beginning. One of the most important principles to understand is that every command God ever gives you is for your good. You may not see it. You certainly may not feel it. You may not sense it at the time. It's possible you don't sense it for years. It is very possible that you could die without seeing it. But God has our good in mind in our obedience. He doesn't keep a scorecard with some whiteboard up in heaven and say, hey, they did well today. They didn't do well today just as a game. Every command he gives us is for his glory, yes, but it's also intended for our good. So this section closes out the narrative of chapter five and introduces to this great new generation the first and great commandment of the Lord. Now, the great commandment, as we'll see in uh, verse five, has an introduction. The great commandment to love God is really uh, implicitly given in this first verse. And we'll look at that very carefully. Let's look at the, if you want to have some 
some kind of hooks to hang your thoughts on. Let's look first at the fact that, number one, obedience has a definition. Obedience has a definition. This is verse 1a. Now, this is the commandment. Don't miss the fact that that's singular. This is the commandment. If you're an English grammarian, you know what this means. And here's the apositive. Here's the description. The statutes and the judgment. The commandment is one. Underneath that commandment are many regulations, statutes, judgments, qualifications, explanations, clarifications. This is the commandment. The commandment goes to verse 5. The great commandment is to love God. He's going to get to that in just a few verses. But that commandment to love God is not just some abstract kind of affection for someone way up in the sky. The commandment to love God has statutes and judgments. These are all those intricate parts of the law that actually intend to draw out our affection for God. In principle for us, we know Matthew 22 says, we love God, we love others. That, that fulfills all of the law's commandments. But for Israel, all of those little stipulations, every one of the statutes and regulations were intended to show them where their heart was with loving the Lord. It harkens back to chapter 5, verse 31, where uh, Moses says, as for you, stand here by me that I may speak all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which you shall teach them. This is God saying to, uh, to Moses, that they may observe them in the land which I'm going to give them to possess. God said to Moses, go tell them what to do. Let me ask you a question. How, how are you at being told what to do? If you're honest, you'll say not very good. You know why? Because we're proud. Are, are you a proud man? Are you a proud woman? Don't pass that. Don't, 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 don't miss that pass-fail test. The answer is yes. Everyone is proud. Everyone has pride. And our pride says, I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. What do we learn as like a six, six-year-old? You're not the boss of me, right? Well, actually, there are bosses in life. God here says to Moses, go Tell the people what to do. But before they say, who is God and why should we obey him, which was a good question that there were answers for, God not only tells them who he is, but he says, here's what's in it for you if you obey. He gives divine authority, the judgments and statutes, which the Lord, your God, it's emphatic in the Hebrew, your God, not the ones from Egypt, not the ones from Canaan, your God, the true Lord, Yahweh, has commanded me to teach you. Do you see the discipleship that's already developing? God taught Moses. Moses taught the people. The people in this chapter are to teach their children. It's always a perpetual motion of discipleship. Everyone has a baton of truth in their hand as a believer, and we're called to give that to the next generation. Secondly, another hook we can hang our thoughts on, obedience, obedience has a target It has a target. He says, that you might do them, literally that you may obey, that you may do. Where? In the land where you are going over to possess it. Let's be very clear. This is talking to Israel specifically about about a piece of real estate they were going over to inhabit and to uh, claim as their own, as God's inheritance has a specific application to them in that specific land, but the principle 
is really important here. Obey me there. He, he, he obviously meant obey me here. Obey me tomorrow. Obey me before you go get your, your tent settled and then your house built. But he's specific saying the target is when you get there, obey me. Why? Because they were going to live in and among unbelievers. Now, unfortunately, that wasn't supposed to be the case at the beginning, was it? Yet he knew that they were going to be a witness. So later on, the prophets were going to tell the same group of people who were to eradicate the Canaanites. Now that you're living among them, you're to be a witness to them. You're to bring them into the worship of Yahweh. Not only to say, also to say rather, that that evangelistic outreach extended also to Israelites. We can't fall into the trap that just, just thinking just because these people had the circumcision and just because these people were Israel and just because they were going across to possess the land that they were all saved. Isn't that what we've been studying in Romans? Just because you're a Jew doesn't mean that you're saved. God says through Moses, there's a target. Obey when you get there. Why? Because your obedience will establish Yahwistic, God-centered worship in the land, and also it will make a loud pronouncement to everyone who sees you that I am God and I am specifically, back in the first part of the verse, your God. Obedience still has a target today. You're to obey when you... uh, get up in the morning and go to school and when you go to work and when you're in your neighborhood and when you're dealing with your kids and when you're going to the grocery store. Everywhere we go, we're to obey there. Obedience has targeted. Thirdly, obedience has a legacy. Now, this is going to be tough because we're going to introduce this and I can, I can promise you that everything you're about to hear is going to be uh, radically and extremely repeated multiple times. Verse 2. So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God. What does that look like? To keep all his statutes and commandments, which I have commanded you all, all the days of your life. Obedience has a legacy. It's no surprise, it's no shock to any of us that kids are watching us. Your kids specifically are watching you. And don't, don't misunderstand, but everybody younger than you is watching you, watching me in some way. Truth is, all of us are watching people around us, especially people older than us. I love talking to people who are much older than me in the faith. How are they finishing their life? When you start measuring your life in weeks or months or years rather than decades, what does life look like from that perspective? That kind of legacy, look what it says, <laughs> son, grandson, that kind of legacy is intended to chase us, look at the last phrase, all the days of your life. Um, I, I, wanna, I didn't talk to, um, uh, to Aaron or to Adam or to Jake, but we have college and um, and Trevor and and uh, the McKenzies who work in junior high. We we have these great folks who work with our our young people. Can can I just throw the challenge down to some of you with who are losing pigment in your hair? Can I say it like that? The gray hairs. That's what the the New Testament. I mean, the Old Testament calls us. You ever thought about working with junior high and senior high and collegians? 
Well, I'm not cool enough. Praise God, you're not cool enough. Cool is not defined by having holes in your jeans. Trust me, I had holes in my jeans my whole life, and nobody ever thought I was cool. And I didn't buy them like that either. Why not? Why not, if you are a grandfather, a grandmother, invest your life in the young in the next generation? Now, if you are a junior hire or a senior hire or a collegian, are you willing to listen to these folks? Are they irrelevant to you? Are they old people? Emphasis on the old. You know how you can tell a mature young man or young woman? They pursue mature, godly people for discipleship. If you want an opinion, ask your peers. If you want counsel, ask someone older. And so I want to challenge those of you who may be older and think that you know, the tire tread's a little thin on your, on, your, on your service. No, it's not at all. It is the best it could ever be. Turn, please, come, join. Those of you who are working with the young people, would that be okay? Jake and Adam, they're giving me north and south. Please look at this legacy. Obedience has a legacy so that you and then your son and then your grandson might fear the Lord your God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We fear God because of the knowledge of the Holy One, Proverbs 9, 10 says. Now turn over for a moment to chapter... Oh, well, we could go on and on. Look look at chapter 7. Chapter 7 is full of a bunch of warnings. He's warning the people to be obedient. Uh, Look at why. Look at the influence here. Verse 4. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Stop right there. They, the external people who are not part of godly worship, will turn your sons away from following me. How do we prevent that? We already read. You and your sons and your grandsons. There's a perpetual discipleship that's to take place and keep going. Look over at chapter, oh, we could go on and on with this. Chapter 11. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and always keep his charge, his statutes, his ordinances, his commandments. Know this day that I'm not speaking with your sons who have not known and who have not seen the discipline of the Lord, his greatness and his power and his mighty outstretched hand and the signs and his works that he did not uh, did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh and the king of, of Israel, of king of Egypt into all his land. Why? Why is he not talking to them? Because he's telling the people who are going to tell them there's discipleship. Turn back over to um, the challenge here is to know what all to talk about because we're going to preach this in just a few weeks. Well, look just down the page very quickly at, uh, in Deuteronomy, back in Deuteronomy 6. Verse 7, you shall... Teach them, the Hebrew word is exponentially, powerfully, diligently to your sons 
and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. This is about spiritual discipleship to the next generation. Are you involved with that? And we have to break down this barrier. Listen, we have to break down the barrier from the young thinking that the older are irrelevant and the old thinking that they are irrelevant to the young. I get troubled when I see churches that are monolithic in their, in their um, constituency. A church that's all young is troublesome. A church that's all old is troublesome. I, I praise God that Mission Road has so much range in our age. I'm just looking around at the diversity of, of age even right now. So what are we doing to have internal discipleship and to pass on that legacy. Go back to verse two. So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God. The target is to fear God. If you fear God, you will obey God. If you don't obey God, it's because you don't fear God. We'll see that over and over. To keep, and then there's this little word, all his statutes and his commandments. You know what that implies? Teaching, education, equipping which I command you, and then there's that little phrase, how long? All the days of your life. Um, You never graduate from obedience. Kerry was talking about last week that he was speaking on the issue of of lust and desire and and uh, you know, there's this myth that when you get old enough, you outgrow all those all those sins. And he was talking to an 80 year old who said, "No, you don't." There are only three problems in the world. You understand that? John said, "There's only three issues. Every sin in our life is one of three or a combination of of these three issues: the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life." He says, "That's all that's in the world." pretty interesting that Satan only has three weapons. Isn't he creative at how he frames those attacks on our soul? Obedience has a legacy, and just hold that because we're going to speak of that in great detail in the coming weeks. And fourthly, and this one breaks down a little bit, obedience has consequences. You could say rewards. Obedience has consequences. The first is uh, longevity. This is in verse 2 in the, in the middle. That your days may be prolonged. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. We have to go to Proverbs and understand a little bit about what a proverbial uh, uh, statement is. Does this mean that everyone who ever tries to obey God will live a long life to 80, 90, 100 years old? Well, no. We know people who die uh, in their 20s as martyrs. What does it mean that your days may be prolonged? This is a general principle that we shall look at and hope for, and God's sovereignty and providence can trump that for his glory. I mean, are you willing to believe that for some people, God deems it that their death now, at a young age, will bring him more glory than their continued life? Yeah, he still makes this statement that your days may be prolonged. You know what that means? Very simply, obeying God will make you live longer. What if it doesn't? Then God has deemed another plan. But can I also say this? We can't ignore where we're going to be in a few minutes at the Lord's table, that if you know the Lord 
and you live in disobedience, Paul said some people sleep. Some people have died because of that. John says there is a sin unto death. That there are times when God says, you're my son, you're my daughter, but you know what? You just need to come home. You have disobeyed enough. It's time to come home. One consequence of obedience, though, we can't, we can't one of the fears that, that we should have is saying, well, it's a proverbial uh, uh, statement, and, and we know that doesn't work out all the time for everybody, and so we just won't let it apply for anybody. No, no, just, just the opposite. There are exceptions to this rule, but by and large, you live a longer, blessed life by obeying. That was the point for the children of Israel, and I don't see any reason that that's nullified in the New Testament. Secondly, underneath obedience has consequences. Uh, well-being, well-being. Look at verse 3. Oh, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do, to do it, that it may be well, go well, do well with you. The simple principle is that your life works out better if you obey God. You know why? We're talking about Obedience having consequences here. Sin has consequences too. It erodes trust. It undermines relationships. It brings guilt and despair. Physical consequences. I love that little, little jab. You should listen and be careful to do. You should listen. I uh, over and over, Solomon in the book of Proverbs says, um, uh, listen, my son, listen, my son, listen. And it reminds me of um, uh, one time we were, uh, one of my sons was younger and Kim was trying to watch something on the news that was happening and he kept trying to get her attention and she wouldn't listen. And so he jumped up in her lap and grabbed her chin and said, son, listen to me. He had learned that somewhere. Um, that's the same thing that's happening here. Listen to me. Eye contact. Be careful to do it. Be careful means be diligent, which means it is easy to disobey by simply being careless. No one sits in neutral with God. You're either pursuing God or you're moving away from God. There is no neutral gear. It says that it may be well with you. Just for a moment, could you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3, this is a really encouraging passage in the same vein from Peter in the New Testament. Does obedience really work out okay for you? Will obedience really make your life go better? Is that really just for Israel? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse th- chapter 2, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. After giving these admonitions on uh, submission and uh, godly living, he says, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Obedience gives a blessing. Obedience receives a blessing. Now look at verse 10. He's quoting Psalm 34. For the one who desires life 
to love and see good days. Is that you? That's me. I want to live and I want to have a good time in my life. He must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Why? For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and he hears his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. See the principle there in the New Testament. Obey God, and your life goes better. You will see good days. Disobey God, and you'll receive the chastening of the Lord. Now, every time we have this discussion with anyone, someone always says, hang on, what about the person who is saved in Saudi Arabia or saved in, in uh, Pakistan where it's uh, against the law to be a Christian? How is that good days? Can I assure you, that believer will one day see very good days. It's not just relegated to this life alone. Back to Deuteronomy 6. Lastly, or thirdly, under obedience has consequences. Longevity, well-being, and also benefits. Benefits or blessings. This is so good. That you may multiply greatly. Uh, in the Old Testament, especially where God wanted to populate the land with people, uh, barrenness was a sign of, of uh, God's um, cursing, and having children was a sign of God's blessing. You see, Ruth, who was married um, as an Edomite and was married for 10 years, and barren. Her husband dies, then she comes and marries Boaz and immediately gets pregnant. The point was that God's blessing was on that. Now, we have to be careful here. Just because a person can have children doesn't mean they're under the blessing of God, and just because a person cannot have children or a couple cannot have children doesn't mean they're under the curse of God. We're under a different system than these people were, especially with the land, the land requirements that he was laying out here for the people. We're going to come back to that in great detail in Deuteronomy. But know this. God wanted to populate the land. Obey me and I'll bless you. It's really as simple as that. Just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, we're going to come back. Chapter 11, verse 9, 26, 9, and 15, 27, 3, 31, 20, all talk about the land flowing with milk and honey. You know what that says? It's yummy. It's a good place to eat. It's a good place to live. There's abundance. There are benefits to obedience. God blesses obedience. And I think sometimes... We're afraid in this, uh, in this day and age where there's so much health and wealth gospel to say, if you do this, God will do that. You have to be careful with that. But we also have to be careful to see what the scripture says. If you obey, God says, I will bless you. Can't miss that. Look for a moment over at chapter 10. Verse 12. It says this same thing again. As I said, he's going to... Ref- Repeat this refrain over and over and over. Chapter 10, verse 12. Now, Israel, what does the Lord require from you? That's a good question. What's God want from us? But to fear the Lord your God. How do we fear the Lord our God? He just told us in chapter 6. By knowing his commandment and his statutes and his ordinances and obeying him in the smallest detail and in the greatest detail. To walk in all his ways 
pretty comprehensive, and love him and to serve, worship the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Do you underline things in your Bible? Here's a great phrase. Why is he commanding these things for us? For your, say it, good. God, again, is not the cosmic killjoy just trying to get us to obey, to show off to the angels. I heard an open theist say that one time. He is telling us if we obey, it's for our good. Every urge you fight, young person, every lust you fight, every time you try to be a man or a woman of integrity, God is in that for your good. Even if you don't sense it immediately. Do you believe that God wants your good and that that's accomplished by obeying what he's commanded? Sure, this was for Israel about to go inherit the land, but are those principles any less relevant to us? We just read it in 1 Peter. You want to see good in your days? Pursue righteousness, shun and avoid evil. It's really simple. I was telling Kim on the way uh, in tonight, I'm, I'm always amazed, and when I say always, I really mean always, at how the Lord puts certain passages in front of us in preparation for communion. I mean, this is just a perfect introduction into what we're celebrating. Because communion really is about two major things, remembering the Lord's death for our sin and evaluating our life in reference to obedience. One of the things we have to evaluate is do we believe God? Do we really believe that if we obey, he will bless us? If we don't, you know what we're doing? We believe the lie that if I sin, I will get happiness. And if I obey God, I will be robbed of happiness. You and I think that every single time we disobey. We may not say those words, but that's exactly the choice we make. We disbelieve that obeying God will bring us good and we'll see good days. If we really believed that obedience would bring our good, don't you think we would pursue it with a greater passion and vigor? It's because we believe the lie. That pursuing our own way, our own lusts, our own pride, our own course will bring us what we want, happiness, satisfaction, sweet and full life. Can we, can we just glance over at verse, chapter 11 for a moment? Verse 8, you shall therefore keep every commandment. Wow, that's heavy. Which I'm commanding you today so that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you're about to cross over possess it. So that... You may prolong your days in the land. 
do what I'm saying so that I can bless you. I want to bless you, but I'm sure not going to bless you and think that you have favor in your lifestyle if you're constantly choosing to disobey. Look down at verse... um, Look, verse 18, we can go on and on through chapter 11. You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul. Bind them as a sign of your hand. Then they may be found as frontals on your forehead. Teach them to your sons. <clears throat> we'll talk about phylacteries and what those means. This is not those little leather boxes that you tie your glasses and into your wrist. This is saying do things to make you remember God's word. Hold fast to him. Walk in his ways. In verse 22. Look at verse 26. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today. And the curse, if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord, but turn aside from the way in which I'm commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. Is that clear? In a life of blessing, obey God. You want a life of cursing, Disobey God. And this is a bell that he will ring over and over in the book of Deuteronomy. With that, would you turn back over to 1 Peter, preparation for the Lord's table? I love this passage. If you want to see good days, then you turn away from evil and do good. Verse 11 says, Peter talks much about suffering in this epistle and ties it to Christ. Verse 18 says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just, the righteous, for the unjust, the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God. How? having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. You've been listening to a presentation of Mission Road Bible Church in Prairie Village, Kansas. For more information, visit missionroadbiblechurch.com.